Everyone is saying good politic guy has the best politic. It's like the Democrats paid these people off. Hey, let's pay them off. Let, let's make it look like the Republicans can't govern and don't deserve any gavels whatsoever. But they did it for free. <laughs> Your friend, Rand Paul, had, had this to say. We are acquaintances at best. I'm literally missing 15% of my right test score. <laughs> Fear not each sudden sound and shock. Tis of the wave. Excuse me. Tis of the wave and not the rock. I'm sorry, is it open mic? Is that what we're doing in the Senate? I, I thought we were having an impeachment trial. I did liken Tucker Carlson to an after-meal <laughs> shit earlier in the show. <laughs> you, you did. What sort of Eve ate the apple, Pandora opened the box bullshit did we just step into there? This is Facts and Friends. Welcome to this. It's not your fault, kids, but Mommy United States and Daddy United States <laughs> might not be living together anymore. <laughs> we both still love you, but it's your fault. Episode of the Facts and Friends podcast. <laughs> my my name is Tino, and joining me this week is my friend and co-host. Most of you know him as Judson, but I know him as the guy who is hopefully, and until just a second unknowingly, going to be replaced as co-host of this show by this episode's special guest. What, 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 <laughs> I love Judson. What? No, it's, that's fine. That, that's, that seems reasonable. Surprise! <laughs> Huh, from your lips, Tino, from your lips. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judson, we have quite a show planned for what might be your last episode. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll warm up with this week's news and learn about our legal system from Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, from who? <laughs> <laughs> you heard me. I recognize the name, but I don't understand it in the context, I guess. You're not going to understand it after the piece either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're also going to be finding out why Mommy and Daddy United States might be splitting up. But the star of this week's episode is our special guest, leftist political commentator and YouTube sensation. You'll probably be annoyed that I said that. <laughs> Good politic guy. His name is Mac, and he's going to be joining us a little later on for a great conversation. We had it just before we recorded this. Oh, so I don't have to pretend like I haven't done it already? Okay, good. If I asked you to pretend that you hadn't done it, you'd be pulling back the curtain. It would be a disaster. So I yes, was all ready for everyone it, Everyone can time. know that we, are, we, we already <laughs> talked to Mac. I was ready for it this time, damn it. All right, Judson. Well, congratulations are in order. You mean, you mean for leaving the show? No, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. That's next week's congratulations. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Our show got a little recognition last week. Okay. I got an email from the founder of a website called Feedspot. It's a curated database of bloggers and podcasters. Apparently, we were selected by their panelists as one of the top 10 political comedy podcasts of 2023. We're number eight. Wow. That's how about that? Surprising. Yeah, there are at least two other podcasts that aren't as good as ours, <laughs> or worse, I should say. How many How many are there? Yeah, how many political comedy podcasts are out there, I guess? Well, it's just of 2023. Right, well, this year, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, we've done our best work, so... Yeah, I've already tweeted to the number seven podcast that we're coming from, and <laughs> uh, it was... <laughs> It was uh, a threat, kind of. Well, that's, that's a way to win friends and influence people, yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> okay, let's get to the news. Please. I should probably wish you a happy day of hate. A day of what now? Hate. Oh, hate. Today's the day of hate. It's Saturday. The day of hate. It's my favorite day, though. Why would it be the day of hate? American Nazis are gathering around oh. the country to celebrate their hatred of Jews and other minorities. I see. We watched a video of yeah. some of these guys. Orlando. They were in Orlando. Uh, yeah. I just, 
I don't think I'll ever understand the guy who kind of wakes up in the morning, gets out of bed and thinks, you know what would be a great idea? I'm going to dress up in a Hawaiian shirt and matching shorts. That in and of itself is a bad idea. Uh, but then what I'm going to do is go out and yell anti-Semitic slurs at people in cars on the street. Yeah, I, I with you. I don't understand that at all. You're the MAGA whisperer. You can't. You can't get into... I think this is far beyond the MAGA whispering here. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about full-on is... Nazis right now. I mean, this is a little outside of my uh, comfort zone. Fortunately, all of our political leaders on both sides of the aisle universally condemned this event. Uh, Judson, why don't you read some of those denouncements from our so-called America First Patriots uh, from Twitter for us? Can you do that? I, uh, no, uh, there, there really aren't any from the right. Ouch. Well, all right. Well, let me play some of the audio that I captured from them denouncing this on the right. Huh. Well, interesting. <laughs> isn't it? Thank goodness Asa J on Twitter was around to give us the truth behind the day of hate, Judson. It's a psyop. It's uh, okay. What You want to read this tweet real quick? Day of hate? There's no proof this has ever existed before. Don't buy into this obvious psyop. They say a group of neo-Nazis from Iowa started this. That's just code for a group of FBI informants. This, on the other hand, does exist in Orwell's 1984, however. Understand? And then it's a wiki link hate week from uh, 1984. About a psyop called hate week. Yeah. Increase the hatred of the population for the current enemy of the state. I'm thinking about our conversation with Mac. I just like kind of want to go back and like, how do you deal with that? <laughs> you, you, you don't. You, you have to outvote them. That person's the exception, but not by a lot. My favorite tweet on the quote-unquote event was this one. I'll let you read a good one since you had to read a bad one. <laughs> this is def uh, Jeff Tiedrich? Yep. Holy fucking shit. How the fuck do you brag about having a day of hate when your whole fucking party is a perpetual 24-7 fucktangle of nonstop hate? <laughs> fucktangle has to be my new favorite <laughs> word, I think. It's the best kind of tangle. Um, <laughs> it's a bit like them asking when when White History Month is, right? It's always White yeah. History Month or Day of Hate for those guys. Yeah. Well, I'm sure their lord and savior, a, a brown-skinned Jew, would approve. <laughs> They've probably retconned that, I feel like. He's not actually... Oh, they totally yeah. have. I've, I've seen the illustrations. <laughs> I've seen the crucifixes. Their Jesus is super white. And, and Christian. He was the first Christian, obviously, not Jewish. That's crazy talk. Let's move on. At the risk of inadvertently summoning Ricky Schroeder's testicles to this show... Oh, dear. I wanted to touch on this little gem... From wrongly exonerated murder and graduate of the Alex Murdoch School of Stage Crying, <laughs> it's Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> wow, that's a quite the intro. Yeah. Rittenhouse was a guest on the Throwing Stones from Glass Houses podcast with Don <laughs> Jr. this past week. Our favorite podcast. I don't think that's what it's really called, but that's what we call it. Yeah. I think it's called Triggered or something like that, something stupid like that. It's not Cocaine Bear? I've been hearing a lot about Cocaine Bear. I thought for sure. <laughs> that's a movie. It's a documentary. Uh, but from the looks of the promotional photos I saw about this podcast appearance by Rittenhouse, Double Murder must pay really well. Like Rittenhouse is living the life. He's put on a few pounds, and I'm not fat shaming. There are way worse qualities about Rittenhouse being a chubby little loser. <laughs> I, I mainly wanted another opportunity to call him a murderer. That's <laughs> He's not a convicted murderer. He's not. But he'll always be a murderer in my heart. <laughs> That's right. And you probably guessed this, Judson. Nothing all that interesting or important came from their conversation on the uh, in the uh, podcast. That is what I would have bet on had you asked me <laughs> ahead of time. But there was this baffling moment. It's a bit of legal theory from um, Kyle Rittenhouse. It was scary. 
I was up against these George Soros funded prosecutors. Was that what was going on with these guys getting some sort of, you know, back end donations and or, I mean, the, the media, obviously, and everyone else going after it, but I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm, I don't know for sure. I don't know for 100 percent fact. Yeah, but I guarantee I'm sure of it. <laughs> what? <laughs> so George Soros funds all the prosecutors and murder cases in this country. Yes, they're not funded by the state. They're funded by George Soros. What an idiot. Now, which GOP box should we file this one away in, Judson? There's the treasonous traitors box, the always about the grift box, the every accusation is an admission box, the they don't know how any of this works. That, that's the that's one. That's it. That's it. That's the box. I'm going to drop it right in there. It's not how any of this works. Let's move on. I teased this in the intro, but it looks like our country might be headed for a messy divorce, Judson. Okay. Do you want to read this from Congresswoman Mega? Marjorie Taylor Greene. Put a dollar in the jar, Tino. Damn it. Damn it. First dollar in the jar for season three. I don't know, man. Money well spent, I guess. Sure. I will read Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet. We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this. From the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are done. Hey, kids, the word of the day today is sedition. <laughs> yeah, it's Uncle Tortilla. We haven't heard from him in a while. That's, there's reasons for that. You know, you called me crazy years ago when I said we were on the road to civil war, Judson. Did I? No, you probably didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but this feels like another oddly explicit step in that direction. Oh, for sure. I mean, she's talking about it in like in this very blasé, like just neutral, like a divorce. Like you said, not, it's, she said divorce. Right. She doesn't. She's not talking about civil war, but that is what this ultimately boils down to. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. So I was thinking about this this week and last week I classified what the right is doing as perhaps an information war. Yeah. So I, I, when I was thinking about that more and then I heard or I read her tweet and subsequently heard her talk about it, I was just kind of wondering, has the second civil war actually already started? Like, but the battles are being fought mostly online and in the media. Yeah, I, I think there. I've heard commentators on the right say something similar already. I, a lot of it comes off as just like bravado and them talking to their audience. But there's a grain of truth to it. I think that it's more of a it's more of a cold war here, and like it's right. being fought yeah. through proxies and and yeah. in the courts and in the legislature. But it's it's it is definitely. We've made lots of steps. The, the partisan divide that continues to grow in this country is is no accident. So some on the right did object to the notion of a national divorce. Not enough, but more than I would have expected, I guess. But rather than walking it back, MTG just kept on plowing ahead. In my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that. At least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction, and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default, and we have to do something about that. 
But that was the right <laughs> and the left that did that to the American people on their own. But the Democrats never stop pushing their policies, their ideas and their culture on Republicans and the right. And we are so sick and tired of it. We are tired of our children being taught ideas and ideologies in school that we do not want our children taught, like gender lies. We do not want our children um, being having their gender change or transitioned. We we can't even have women's sports and privacy in our bathrooms and women in prison can't even even have spaces. ESG, environmental social governance, has completely taken over corporations. And this is a huge policy pressed on private businesses through the government from Democrats. If you're a white male today in the financial industry, you can forget it. You're a dinosaur. You're going extinct. No one should ever be hired by their skin color or their gender or, or Marjorie, how they identify. It should only be about your character and your ability to do the job. Then you wouldn't have a job. Then you wouldn't have a job. I was way more Marjorie Taylor Green than anyone ever wanted. Oh my God, there's so um, many things. Yeah, I know. I'm going to need to make copies of that clip because I, I think it might need to be filed in all of the right wing boxes I listed earlier. What's what is Democrat culture? I have no idea. We, we are, if anything, our cultures are regional, right? And ethnic, obviously, and you know, family history. But Democrat culture—that's that's a—that's an absurd even concept. What really all comes down to her being mad that we're making them not be mean to gay people and trans people and as much as they were in the past. That's it. They're mad that they have to not be quite as mean to people they don't like as they once were. And and let's be clear, like, this is just the latest crowd that they don't want to be mean to before oh, sure. it was black people. Sure. You know? I mean, they'll get back. They'll get back to black people as soon as they <laughs> fix this whole trans thing, I think. <sighs> I don't think they've ever really left black people, left hating black people. Well, they're people. definitely distracted by the new kid on the block, as far as they see it. Right. Well, at the risk of losing the, the rest of our listeners before poor Mac comes on, <laughs> I'm going to play some more Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Green because she kept on digging. What have you done, Tino? <laughs> so, Congresswoman Green, I want to make sure I understood you correctly. Mm -hmm. Were you saying that we should have a, um, a cooling off period? to say people should not be able to vote for a couple years if they move from a blue state to a red state? It would be something I would highly recommend. Um, with the mass exodus of states like California and New York, where people that have lived in these Democrat states all their lives and really just don't know any other way, but then when they move somewhere like Florida or Georgia or Texas or another red state, and they just really, they always love it, and they, they are just praising how wonderful it is, but yet at election time, they turn around and vote Democrat like they always have. Well, they really are like newcomers ruining our beautiful red states and, and, mm -hmm. and trying to change the values that we have. And I think a smart thing for Republican states to do would be say, you know what? We love for you to move here. We welcome you to our state. And we, if you like the way it is, we want to keep it that way. So a cooling period would be great. You can still vote in federal elections but maybe we don't want you to vote in our state elections for a while. And that's something that they could do um, in a national divorce. I don't know. Give them maybe five years, three to five years to realize and learn why the red states are the way they are. And it's because of Republican votes, not Democrat votes. Oh, Georgia, the, the ruby red state with two Democratic senators that also voted for Biden in 2020. So, so red. Also, uh, I was just reading today, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years back, Tesla 
moved some offices from California to Austin, Texas for you know tax reasons, right? I do remember that. Well, they're moving back to California. <laughs> the, the Engineering HQ is moving back to California. I guess it wasn't quite as nice in the red state as they thought it was going to be. And I love that she thinks people vote Democrat because they're stupid and they just don't know any other way. She can only base it off of her own voters. Uh, so <laughs> And her own experience. Yeah, the only people she talks to are idiots. Therefore, everyone must be. What she said there... If you were listening, if, your ears, if you were able if your to listen to more bleeding. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to take away some people's right to vote. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> because red states are better than blue states, she says. But they're America first patriots <laughs> that believe in the Constitution? You're, well, I mean, that's what they say. That's not what they are. No, it's not. Also, their definition of patriotism is, uh, and America is actually weird. They, they don't. What they mean by America is the things they like. Just like wokeism are the things they don't like. Right, yeah. Their definition of America, when they say America first, they're not talking about the country, no. the United States of America. They're talking about this white Christian idea. Yeah. Right. And when they say freedom, they're not talking about freedom for all. They're talking about freedom for the people that think like they do and believe what they believe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's libertarianism. It's we want to be free to do what we want to do. We could give a shit what you get to do. I think liber a, a true libertarian thinks that everyone should be able to do whatever the fuck they want. Right, but that's not what there should be most almost people no are. regulation. Yeah. That's but most people who are actually identify as libertarian are the other thing I said. They're they're Republicans, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're conservatives. Republicans who like weed. Exactly. <laughs> but she did face some pushback from this well known rhino. You might as well go to Arlington National Cemetery and go over to the section of the veterans at Gettysburg and spit on their graves. As yeah. to even mention yeah. to even mention that this country would be split right. apart. Well, I'm sorry. We're in a difficult I'm, position now, Judson. My brain hurts. Did, did you recognize the voice? Yeah, my brain hurts. <laughs> that was Steve Bannon. I'm having to agree with Steve fucking Bannon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Steve Kevin Bannon? Yeah. Isn't that his name? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's Kevin. Anyway. What? Why are we... Also, can you... Why is this happening to me? Why am I persecuted? Why am I persecuted here? Can you also can you imagine like the third world dystopian nightmare that the red states of MAGA would be as their own country? Uh, yeah, I can actually. <laughs> it would be a fucking train wreck. Oh my god, it would be a third world country. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that the other half would be much better, just given the difficulty in separating. I mean, first of all, you can't unwind the financials of 50 fucking entities like that. It's just not going to no. happen. Everything is too interconnected. The co entire concept is absurd i mean you think brexit is a nightmare fuck you every single yes i mean it would be it would be that times 50 exponentially worse well anyway when we do divorce uh, i've got dibs on custody of timothy chalamet okay just saying <laughs> I, I i'll allow it thanks we will be right back with a great conversation with the good politic guy himself mac The Facts and Friends podcast is brought to you by people like you. More and more, corporate America is taking over the podcast scene. Your support helps stave off a complete takeover. Please take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and followers via social media or word of mouth. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for helping out. It really does mean a lot. 
You know, Judson, I'm constantly looking for ways to improve this little show of ours. Sure. I'm sure you've noticed I haven't found any yet. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it's getting worse. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, until today, you know, we've had guests on the show before. Uh, Lindsey Graham likes to sneak in to creep us out yeah. now uh -huh. and again. Uh, Ricky Schroeder's testicles have swung by a few times. But uh, this time, we have not only a whole guest, not just the testicles, but a real guest. Okay. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> I am so thrilled to welcome to the show a rising star in leftist political commentary. You can find his insightful and impassioned videos on all of the most important news of the day on YouTube. His channel is Good Politic Guy, which is also how you can find him on Twitter. Just don't confuse Good Politic Guy with his arch nemesis, Bob Good Politic Guy. Completely different. <laughs> his love of Bernie Sanders is only eclipsed by his love of Futurama. It's the Good Politic Guy himself, Mac. Everyone is saying Good Politic Guy has the best politics. Believe me, no one does it like him. Believe me, everyone is saying... Welcome to Facts and Friends, Mac. We're really excited to have you on. Thank you guys for, for bringing me on the podcast. Looking forward to having a, a good discussion here. We definitely got a lot to talk about. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, glad, glad you should be here. If there's one perspective that's underrepresented these days in any media, it is straight, white, cisgendered males. Am I right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Amen. We are being suppressed. <laughs> Actually, Mac, you do represent a perspective that we don't usually have on this show, at least, and that's Gen Z. Well, well I'm like a year or two away from being Gen Z myself, but Mac, <laughs> you're the real deal. Yeah. You're, you're Gen M, Tino. It's Methuselah. That's the, the generation <laughs> you are. I, I heard you guys were to blame for inflation, Mac, or at least keeping it going. We're to blame for everything. I mean, inflation, the housing market, everything. It's all us. Wine. You've destroyed wine and avocados. and We're trying to bring down the whole system from within, and it seems <laughs> to be working, honestly. <laughs> I've heard that Republicans don't even want you guys to be able to vote. Well, too bad, because we're, we're coming and we're, we're coming hard. That will not get taken out of context later. <laughs> I already promised, like, legally not to take him out of context. <laughs> You're going to hate this, but I had to watch a lot of your videos. And I noticed you have quite the Trump impersonation in your repertoire. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I pull it out sometimes. So I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at it. You know, I'm going to look at it. Uh, lots of different opinions, folks. Lots of different two sides to this. Two sides. <laughs> that's not bad. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think about all the impressions that Tino's done on the show. And, like, that's way better than any impression. <laughs> Hi, y'all. It's me, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's all, that's right on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm from South Carolina and I can... No, you're right. That's pretty close. You ought to thank me, Mac, because quite honestly, initially, I had planned to do this like Lindsey Graham ASMR bit in your segment. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I cut it. I think everyone should thank you, really. <laughs> no, I'm still going to do it in another show, Johnson. Oh, damn it. I'm just not going to subject poor <laughs> Mac to it. Okay. A stay of execution then for the rest of us. I thought, first off, not to put you on the spot, but it might be a good idea to let you describe who you are and sort of what you do in your own words. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys kind of laid it out a little bit. I mean, I'm a, you know, a socialist political commentator, definitely got the good politic. You know, I make basically, hopefully daily videos. I mean, sometimes I struggle, but yeah, daily videos, updating people on the latest big news happenings that are going on. You know, I try to like do as effective of agitated propaganda against capitalism uh, that I possibly can get away with and try to be a part of something that, you know, a movement that could be bigger than myself eventually. How'd you get 
get into that? I mean, I guess like into political commentary kind of, yeah. you know, I've been watching guys like Kyle Kalinske since I was in high school. And so I kind of knew of mm -hmm. this like independent media space. And then, um, you know, over the years, like as I sort of got more and more into politics, I think Bernie Sanders, probably his, his runs for president probably played a role in me looking a lot deeper into these things. And then, you know, eventually I was rage tweeting on Twitter during the Democratic primary. And I was like, you know what, <laughs> maybe I got some things to say. I'll just throw this up on YouTube and see how it goes. And then I've just been building it up ever since then. Excellent. Well, it's kind of you to agree to come on the show. I wanted to start off the show by showing my gratitude for you coming on by performing a small service for you. Now, I watched a lot of your content this week. Oh, God. Like more than any human should. It's excellent. Don't get me wrong. But there's only so much. But it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. only so much good politic guy a person could take yeah. in a given week, you know. I mean, I've started having nightmares about you yelling at me for all the dying animals in East Palestine. <laughs> it's been rough. A socialist fire hose, basically, of YouTube videos. Yeah. But amidst all the intelligent, insightful political commentary, I noticed a little imperfection, and I thought I could help you with that. Sure. It has to do... You sound really excited about this. Uh, he senses the just, trap, you know. I'm just waiting to see what's coming. Yeah, it's... It has to do with how you pronounce a certain politician's name. Okay. Pete Buttigieg, Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. All right, so Pete Buttigieg. Okay. So you're not quite there. It's uh, Pete Buttigieg. Try that. I honestly cannot tell a difference between how you just said it and how I said it in my videos. Really? So go ahead and say it. Pete Buttigieg. Okay. Yeah. You're not quite there. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to bring in the big guns. Okay. Okay. I paid for you, just for you. I paid for the masterclass video on how to say it. So I'm going to play just a, a little excerpt from that. Boot edge edge. You know what you call them. Boot edge edge. That's the way. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're taking diction lessons from Trump? <laughs> he has a great brain. He has the best, <laughs> best words. words. Yeah, yeah. So so now give it a try. So it's boot edge edge. Boot edge edge. <laughs> oh, wow, we even got the Trump impression. <laughs> that is a slam dunk. That is a home run You're right, right there. No, I, I should have I realized that earlier. I, I watched that video in one of the uh, one of the segments I was doing on East Palestine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tried doing it in the moment, but I don't know if I could replicate Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone should, so that's okay. All right, so we're going to dig into some big questions about leftism versus liberalism, neoliberalism, and mainstream media versus independent media in a minute. But I thought it might be helpful for our audience and fun for us to get to know you by way of a little icebreaker game. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. It's super simple. I'm going to name a person, entity, or concept, and you give us just one sentence or less, could be just a couple words, that sort of like expresses your opinion about it or them. We'll do a warm-up. Judson, The Shawshank Redemption. America's favorite movie. Mm, fuck yourself. <laughs> that would be Shrek 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you good? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Katie Porter. Ooh, Katie Porter. Um, I think that Katie Porter is is very adept at directly challenging corporate power, like straight to the faces of executives, and I like that. Well, we're looking for whiteboard, I think, right? Judson would have gone with whiteboard. Are you playing too, Judson? <laughs> Sorry, no, go ahead. You're, you're ahead. I already know you. <laughs> AOC. Uh, <laughs> AOC. You know, I mean, I think that she's a she's sort of a firebrand. You know. For the left, in some ways. Okay. Hakeem Jeffries. Corporate stooge, incredibly corrupt. 
That's just about the gist of it. Stop holding back. <laughs> the Atlanta Braves. You said the Atlanta Braves? I did. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't give less of a shit about baseball, if I'm being honest. Okay. It was originally the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. I'd have some things to say about the Falcons for sure. <laughs> All right. What about the Falcons? I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's up there and being one of the most painful fan bases to possibly <laughs> be in. I mean, it's just like. Oh, no. I have you there. No, no, no. I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I have. What do you mean? You guys just won the. the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Yeah, we won the Super Bowl, but it was with Tom fucking Brady. <laughs> he hates Tom Brady. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I despise Tom Brady. I mean, I do too. don't get me wrong. He he stole our Super Bowl from us, so. I mean, so. That was a colossal <laughs> failure. Yeah, you know, I think they were working it. That has to keep you up at night. <laughs> no, I've, I've blocked it out of my memory at this point. It's like trauma. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Bernie, I think, has like actually done a decent job throughout his life of waking a lot of people up to uh, the systemic problems in the country. I mean, Bernie Sanders, he's a he's sort of like the OG. He's you know, he's up there in terms of least bad politicians in American history, I think. Okay, Glenn Greenwald. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, you know, he's done he's definitely done some great reporting throughout his career. Definitely had some some hot takes in the last couple of years. I think during COVID <laughs> sort of maybe lost his mind a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's definitely a mixed bag. I'll say that. Uh, vaccinations. Well, I'm double vaxxed. So, you know, I, right. I never got my boosters or any follow up like that. I kind of gave up on the process. But I mean, I, I think people should should get vaccinated. Pineapple on pizza. Terrible. <laughs> bullshit. Ridiculous concept. Thank you. Thank Some you. Some common ground. That's good. Good to see. Yeah. The NCAA. Mm. The NCAA. Um, definitely corrupt. Lots of exploitation going on. Um, you know, of players and, and people. I call who it are slavery. Playing. Slavery, like, you could call it. Some may some may fairly call it slavery. So yeah, I mean, not not the biggest fan of the NCA. I mean, I like I like the basketball and stuff, but I don't really pay that much attention to college sports, anyways. Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Brandon. I mean, you know. Oh boy. What what can you say about the guy? Joe, I think, is better than. I honestly was expecting when he got elected. Okay. He's definitely better than his previous version of himself in the Senate, but uh, I still think that he is a a sort of a, a corporate stooge as well in a similar vein to Hakeem Jeffries in many different ways. What about pro-Joe Biden gay porn? Pro-Joe Biden gay porn. Is this, could you be more specific? Is He's going to need a sample, it sounds like. <laughs> Wait, so it's pro- I have a sample. <laughs> I know you do. Is it pro-Joe Biden gay porn or is it like- Deep fakes of Joe Biden in porn. Like no, what's, no, no. So uh, let me see if I can. Mac will get an education today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that this this field existed. <laughs> so they're <laughs> the guy that they're fucking is a Trump fan, right? And they're like yelling at him, like uh, "Make your hole white again" or something. They're like <laughs> they're taunting him. It's a classic, sort of like uh, a domination sort of thing. Very much exactly like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Look, hum- humiliation fetish sort of thing going on there. I love you, Donald J. Trump. Marry me someday. You like oh, sucking Trump's cock, so why don't you suck ours? Face fucking a Trump supporter. Feels good. Yeah? Right. Feels like I'm taking the liberation. <laughs> Biden 2020, bitch. Right. Biden 2020, bitch. There we go. Black lives matter. The only white thing that matters today is your mouth and hole. Fuck Trump. Fuck Trump. We're, we're gonna make white hole loose again. That's what we're gonna fucking do, boys. <laughs> you still oh, think yeah. all lives matter? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a, a pass. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's not my, it's not my flavor, but you know, respect to respect to everybody out there enjoying that. Yeah. We don't <laughs> shame kinks here. So that's good. And then finally, last take. Oh my God. Oh my God. So you might need a reference there. You don't recognize Madison Cawthorn? <laughs> oh, that's the video from that Madison <laughs> Cawthorn one that got yeah, leaked? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my yeah, God. No, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself that I didn't recognize that <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that was a crazy episode. <laughs> that was a crazy episode of American politics. Yeah, that sure was. It, it's sort of like they uh, they went after him, like and tried to like. Oh yeah, that was internal sabotage. They shame him. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Let's take a quick break before we get into the really serious stuff. We'll be right back. Hey, FNFers, Judson here. Tino and I are always looking to interact more with our fantastic audience. If you have questions, ideas, complaints, or just need a friend, you can reach out to us at factsandfriends at gmail.com. That's facts, the letter N, friends at gmail. And if you want to make a more intimate connection, I'm on Twitter at the fault in my arse. Again, the fault, the letter N, my arse. And you can find Tino at Uncle Tortilla. We can't wait to hear from you. All right, so I think we've laid the foundation. Anything we need to follow up on from that list? I mean, there's plenty there. <laughs> there's a lot to go off there. I mean, I think we learned a lot. So let's dig into the more weighty issues. Let's start by looking at leftism versus liberalism. No, we're not playing the game anymore. We're actually going to have a hopefully a thoughtful conversation. Judson and I are liberals. You're a leftist, a socialist. I think I have a leftist bent. You and I talked about that a little bit before we came on the air. What are some of the biggest differences you see between liberals and leftists? Yeah, no, that's a. I mean, it's definitely like a deep conversation. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. I think that, you know, in my head, I think the divide there is, is less so on the sort of like culture war issues and, you know, the social side of it. Right. The differences there really are on foreign policy and economics and political strategy as well. But I'd say that liberals tend to be more sort of like in the vein of wanting to reform capitalism and sort of protect our institutions. And many of them want to, similar to many conservatives as well, want to sort of gut social programs, at least throughout modern history. But, you know, some of them want to expand on the welfare state and things like that. And again, just kind of tweaking the systems as we go. Whereas leftists, I would say, you know, sort of encompasses anarchists to socialists to communists to people who sort of are more in favor of actually deconstructing our systems, our institutions that believe that, you know, capitalism is fundamentally undemocratic and should also be dismantled and replaced with a more democratic economic framework and, you know, want to pose more of a, a direct challenge to the, whether it's the military industrial complex or corporate power in a much more aggressive way. So I'd say that's sort of like the basic rundown of where I see some of the differences. What would you say frustrates you the most about, you know, your garden variety liberal? I guess there's sort of like two different ways I could answer that. Like the, the first way would be that it, it's frustrating just as a person knowing that we live in the you know wealthiest country in the history of humanity, most powerful country mm -hmm. in the history of humanity. And we're basically just allowing people to suffer needlessly because, you know, right. we're enforcing austerity measures on working class people and sort of just structuring our economy in a way that just shovels money into the pockets of the wealthiest people in the country, leaving behind millions and millions of people. So many different issues that we could get into in more specifics on that, whether it's like healthcare policy or whatever it may be. Sure. But yeah, that's something that frustrates me just as a human being is because I feel like there's so many untapped resources in this country that are not being effectively distributed and deployed in ways that could materially improve millions 
into people's lives. The second way I would answer that is that as a political commentator, it's frustrating just because like it's not even just about how you're you're not improving people's lives in ways where you could, but it's also on the political strategy because there's just a lot of liberals and, and Democrats within the establishment of the party that I think they genuinely believe that the way to win elections is to move towards what they see to be as the center. And that's a whole different conversation because I think there's a big difference between what it means to be a centrist in D.C. politics versus a centrist among average Americans. But, you know, they think they should be shifting towards the center, trying to bring over some sort of like so-called moderate Republicans. <laughs> and I just think that that's a massive mistake because there's so much untapped political energy in this country for somebody who were to, you know, be aggressively left wing and, and an economic populist, similar to how you know Bernie Sanders was, I guess, in a lot of ways or even going all the way back to like FDR's days, that there's just a lot of untapped political potential there for any party that wanted to actually aggressively take on corporate power, challenge the power centers within this country and deliver on a bold, you know, left-wing economic platform for working class people. So I think we agree. I'm not going to speak for Judson. I'll just speak for myself. But I think you and I agree on a lot of our desired outcomes. I'm not a huge fan of capitalism, but I feel like it's part of the current rules of engagement. And we have to engage within the shitty system that we have in order to move further down the road toward more socialism. Like, I think, I know Judson and I are both for single payer healthcare. I think college should be free. I mean, I'm down with universal basic income. I'm happy. Absolutely, so, me too. Yeah. I want a maximum wage. You know, I, I, we're, we're down with that. But I think where I sort of diverge is like in the here and now where we're fighting this fight, where we're fighting a fight against dumb, <laughs> dumb <laughs> that want to become autocrats, make this country a Christian dictatorship. That's the fight that's front and center right now. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, my response would be that I think that strategy is faulty. Okay. I don't think that that's the best strategy towards actually combating the rise of far right, you know, Christian nationalism or fascism or whatever you want to call it. I just, you know, I mean, this is I would argue this is a, a you know, a good example would be from the 2016 election, for example, where you have the rise of a far right fake populist like Donald Trump, who postures as though he's going to save the working class. And I'm going to bring all of these jobs back and you know, look at the mistakes of NAFTA and PNTR and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and is critiquing things that are absolutely worthy of critiquing and speaking in a way that some Americans who have been left behind by the neoliberal era, you know, speaking to those struggles, obviously, he wasn't going to follow through on any of it. Right. But there's a reason why he was able to tap into that energy and why Hillary Clinton lost to him. And it's because she was a representative of sort of the status quo, pushing for some of the same sort of like framework neoliberal policies as Bill Clinton had before and as Obama had before. And people were just kind of like, you know, we're done with this. We need fundamental structural change. So, you know, if the argument is basically that we need to focus on defeating the fascists first before we get our sort of like wish list items or whatever it may be, if that's the strategy that we're going with, then I don't think that's going to work because far right fake populism, as fake as it might be, is going to outweigh sort of the neoliberal corporatist, you know, milk toast centrist positioning. That's that's not going to be an effective counter to that. And I think the most effective counter to that is being, you know, the boldest left wing economic populist that we can be. And, you know, there, there seems to be this weird split between liberals and leftists where we'll have a policy. Let's just take Medicare for all, like you guys just brought up, single payer health insurance program, right? Um, you know, that's not even socialism. We're just talking about like socializing health insurance, right? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, people will say like, oh, well, yeah, I agree with that policy, but how are we going to get it done right now? And it's like, well, you know, obviously we can't get it done. 
the main driving reason for that is because, you know, we have a vast majority of our elected representatives who are essentially in the pocket of a lot of those health insurance companies. And so you need you, you need a movement to confront that corporate power in order to actually build an alternative that is going to be viable against the rise of right wing populism. And so if you deliver on things like that, if you aggressively challenge corporate power and even some members of your own party that are in the pocket of corporate power, then, um, you know, following through on that kind of an agenda and actually materially improving people's lives in dramatic ways and showing that you are willing to confront the status quo, that's going to be the most effective counter. I'm curious, why did Biden win then if the faux populist was has more power to tap into that political energy in the country? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, number one, I mean, I think that Trump was obviously hurt by the COVID and the economic turmoil at the time. And there were a lot of factors that I think played into that as well. But you're right. I mean, there also was a sense of like a lot of people just were tired of the chaos, wanted to return to normalcy. But I think that the point I'm making is is broader than any given election cycle. I'm, I'm sort of referencing the, the broader trend in the country that you were talking about at the beginning, where it's like, you know, you can push back the tide a little bit with somebody like Joe Biden as sort of a placeholder. And let's go back to brunch sort of mindset or something like that. But what's what's coming down the lane for us right now? I mean, we have Donald Trump running again. He's got a decent shot of winning in 2024. If he doesn't, then you got Ron DeSantis in the wings, and he's probably a more dangerous version of Donald Trump. Absolutely. And he absolutely could win a, na- a national election. And so for sure, you know, it's like Joe Biden is not the solution. He could be a temporary placeholder, but that's you're not you're not getting to the underlying root causes of why they're being so successful on the right. I just don't see that populism argument as necessarily compelling to me. I'm certainly there is a an element that is true. I just don't see that as like the secret to Donald Trump winning, for example. I think he did tap into some of that, but I, the people that voted for him under that populist message were going to vote for the Republican candidate regardless. Uh, of who it was, I think, for the most part. I don't think I necessarily believe that. I mean, if if you had had somebody like, I, I don't know, like a Mitt Romney or like Ted Cruz or something like that <laughs> go up against somebody like Bernie Sanders, I think that Bernie Sanders absolutely would have wiped the floor with him. And then same with Donald Trump as well. But we're talking about Ted Cruz or, or Mitt Romney versus Hillary Clinton in 2016. Yeah, I could have seen that going either way, but, you know. Much like 2016 did, though, could have gone either way. Yeah, no, it definitely. So not, no, there's no, and let's not forget that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Oh, yeah. And like our system is rigged so that yeah. even, you know, the popular choice isn't going to win. The rules are stacked against us in terms of beating the Republicans. I'm all for a stronger, more vocal candidate for from the left who will push those populist ideas and actually have teeth behind them. I just don't think that that's the the only thing that's missing there, I guess. I, don't get me wrong. I don't think that that's the only I don't think that that's the only solution. Like, you know, we have some candidate like Bernie who steps in and then, you know, all of these problems are going to be solved or that's going to be some sort of a magic bullet. I mean, you know, on my channel, I talk a lot about building, you know, a viable labor movement in this country, you know, joining local organizations, doing community organizing and things sure, like sure. that. So I think it's definitely like an inside outside approach that you have to to go with. But I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not like, you know, we pick a slightly better candidate and then, you know, suddenly fascism is defeated or something. Like you said, there's this, this amount of um, untapped energy for an upsetting of the normal status quo, of turn, turning things around to work for uh, those at the bottom instead of those at the top exclusively. And I think that's something you can do. But I also, there was something else you said at the very beginning that I'm I'm blanking on right now that I wanted to come circle back to. Ah, 
Damn was it. it about the uh, pro Biden gay porn? <laughs> it was not about. Surprisingly, it was not about the okay. pro Biden gay porn. <laughs> Weird. I did have some follow ups on that. Go ahead. If you, if you have follow up, go ahead. Because I'm, I'm I'm blanking. Oh, on that. Oh, you- <laughs> <laughs> what is the strategy then on the left? You, know, you you mentioned sort of grassroots community organizing. That's slow moving, right? Yeah. It takes a long time to build. What price is your typical leftist? Are you Mac willing to pay in the short term? to hopefully get to you know the longer term goals and what happens in the interim as the forces that are working against you are made stronger yeah i mean that's it's a complicated question for sure it's not something that i see you know i don't want to be too much of a doomer or something but like <laughs> you know oh, we're we, in trouble it's okay we, we, we know we are in trouble <laughs> we do live in the center of of global capitalism like yep. you know as i said we're the most powerful and wealthy country in the world it's not as if i'm like sort of delusional about any of this and think like oh sure you know we we just need to have the you know a good rally next week and we'll be on the verge of a socialist revolution or something <laughs> like that i mean i wish but you know we're we're not exactly at that point there are so many deeply rooted structural barriers to everything absolutely that not not just me as a socialist but you know anybody who's even like slightly you know leaning left or something like that you know so many structural issues that are seemingly impossible to confront but that's why i like uh you know when i'm whenever i'm feeling doomer pilled like this i always go back to labor power and you know they have a million and one different ways to to, to crush unions and workers and to try to divide and conquer. But that's that's the kind of stuff that actually does give me hope because I think that there is a lot of untapped power that a lot of people who feel like they've been left behind by this system could be tapping into if we had a more cohesive, organized labor force. And it's starting to come to fruition, some of that anyway. Yeah. I don't know if it'll you know maintain steam, but we've seen a lot of uh, additional unions being formed and a lot, a lot of movement towards that sort of organizing at a smaller level at certain companies, certain industries. Yeah, no, we've, we've, we've you know, we had the Starbucks one, we had Amazon, we had a, you know, a couple yeah. big wins there. The trajectory is actually still not great. We're still like losing over overall uh, union participation. Sure. But, you know, that's a product of, of decades and decades of the intentional destruction of labor power in this country. And so, yeah. the, you know, and misinformation and propaganda. And- absolutely. And there's there, there are ways to push back against it. I mean, that's sort of the core of the strategy. If you ask me politically, we can talk about the politics and, and how everything works in D.C. all day long. But I think that that's where the real underlying power is sort of like lurking in this country and hasn't been tapped into nearly to the degree to which it, it could to actually, you know, be in a position to make demands directly from capital instead of having to negotiate via corrupt politicians. Yeah, that reminded me of what I was going to ask previously, too. It was like you were talking before about on the uh, the leftists and would include like anarchists, for example, sure. and someone who's going to totally destroy, tear down the system and rebuild something that is more I thought that was democratic. All, all Democrats were that. <laughs> <laughs> rebuild something that's something more democratic that works for the people. Yeah. Um, but you can't simply do that, right? I mean, you have to gain power through the system that exists yeah, in order right. to enact, to affect those changes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's all part of the analysis. I mean, again, like, you know, I'm not unpractical or impractical. I understand the situation that we're in right now. And and nobody who at least I talk to that identifies as a socialist or a communist or an anarchist or anything like that believes that, like, we're going to be on the verge of something tomorrow or next week or something like that. Like, you know, we, we understand that this is a long game and that you have to do a sort of material analysis of the conditions that you're living under and, uh, you know, adjust your strategy accordingly. I'm not against electoral politics. I'm not against, you know, working within the system in whatever ways that we can in order to affect change even marginally in the right direction. I'm just, you know, my eyes are set on on broader goals. Did you vote for Joe Biden? I did vote for Joe Biden. Yep. And I hope to get uh, help to get Warnock and uh, Ossoff in there as well. 
down in Georgia. So nice. There you go. So it sounds like one of the key components to the leftist strategy, at least as you understand it, is focused around tapping into the working class at a grassroots labor level. Yeah. I worry, though, that corporations kind of have that covered, too. In my corporate days, <laughs> I worked for a company that had a lot of blue collar workers, right? And they did often try to organize into unions. They would literally pay off a blue collar worker or two to go in and just bust the labor talk. They will stop at nothing. So even like at the grassroots level, the corporations are working to kill the labor movement. Didn't Starbucks like shut down stores? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Starbucks hit, was hit with like 250 uh, charges of illegal union busting by the NLRB. They will not be affected by it. They're, no, they're, not, not in the slightest. I mean, we don't punish corporations. No, it, the best the best case scenario in some of the cases is is that they'll force them to rehire some of the people they fired or something like that or like read an apology letter. Well, and we, we can't punish corporations, Tino, because corporations are people and people <laughs> have to be handled with love and understanding unless they're actually people. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't get me started on the Supreme Court. <laughs> so you're talking to a couple of liberals, right? Right. We'd well, put us in that box. But in talking to you, I mean, I hope what you're hearing is that we're doing the same thing. We're just not necessarily always saying the same things. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. Yeah. He has a really, really terrible record. Right. Going going back to his days as a, as a senator. But would you come out and say, I'm a socialist? The right doesn't understand what that word means. Worse, they think they do. And they do. I've gotten it totally wrong. Right. So, But they've successfully been able to label that, I would say, to a majority of the electorate. They've been able to label that as evil. You're not simply wrong, but just absolutely evil. Yeah, you're right. That's also something that's been going on since, you know, basically well, even earlier than World War II. I mean, this is just like modern, you know, McCarthyism in, uh, you know, 2023. Sure. So it's nothing new. This is this has always been going. I think we're actually in a better position now in terms of approval ratings for socialism versus capitalism than probably at any point in American history outside of like back in the days of Eugene Debs or something. That yeah, speaks but, more to how bad capitalism is viewed, though. Exactly. <laughs> the alternative. <laughs> it absolutely does. I mean, like there are, there are a lot of polls that have come out recently that show that for young people, it's uh, socialism has a higher approval rating than capitalism. It's like syphilis has a higher approval related than Congress, which is really more about Congress than it is about stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the American people have been willfully and intentionally undereducated and misinformed about what socialism actually is. So it's that's part of what oh, I'm trying I'm, to push back against. I feel like we need to be working together because I think at my heart, I'm a socialist. I just, when I open my mouth to talk about how we solve these problems. I don't lead with that because it's been poisoned. I hate that, but it's true. What you're arguing about here is really, it's strategy. It's not right. politics. Yes, absolutely. It is strategy. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd also be curious to hear, like, I mean, how how would you guys define socialism in your understanding of it? Or, you know, what, what would be sort of your hesitation to adopt that as a label outside of the the politics of it? I would proudly use the label. Like I would say, you know, I'm I'm far more a socialist than I am a liberal or a neoliberal. But I, like Judson said earlier, and like I said earlier, I am working within the system to stop the bleeding and work our way down the road. And, you, you know, you don't think that that's an effective strategy. You might be right. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to the label of socialism myself. I don't really apply labels, liberal, leftist, socialist to myself. I don't, I'm not even a registered Democrat. I lean left hard. But beyond that, I don't really care what you call me, I guess. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. A couple of things. Like when I'm talking about socialism in my eyes, like it's a very specific distinction I'm trying to draw between how you're structuring an economy. And to me, I mean, you could sum it up as simply as just saying it's democracy in the workplace. Sure. You know, I think that that's the fundamental thing that 
that makes me run with that and try to explain that to other people who may have been misinformed or whatever it may be. Is that are you, are you looking at like everything becoming a co-op essentially? Is that to give someone a, someone a frame of reference? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of things. I mean, again, like like you guys said, like I'm I'm practical about this to to a large extent. Like you know, I don't think tomorrow we're just going to like you know magically disband all of the massive corporations we have and institute worker co-ops everywhere. But socialism is always an experiment. It's it's never like supposed to be a never supposed to be a top down sort of like dictated thing. So I think you do adapt to whatever the circumstances call for. But again, like it's to me, it's as simple as the distinction between economic democracy and economic authoritarianism. And so I would say like the first steps in my eyes, given the conditions we're living in here in the United States, you know, you have to build some semblance of, you know, union power, labor power in this country, put in heavy labor protections for workers. You know, eventually you build up a broader base of uh, collectively organized workers who are able to, you know, make demands and, and go on strike to extract concessions. And, you know, you use that momentum, you use that energy politically as well uh, in order to build, you know, support for your own political party and lean heavily into that economic populist approach. And you start slow, you know, things like universal health care, universal housing and, uh, you know, beginning the process of somewhat decommodifying those industries and, uh, you know, building public, you know, public alternatives to those and, uh, you know, sort of like phase it in as it goes. Like, you know, when I'm talking about socialism, I'm not talking about sort of like the van guard revolution is coming or something like that. Like it's, you know, I, I understand sure. like the whole working within the system thing. I don't fundamentally disagree with that. I just think that if, like you said, you're trying to stop the bleeding, I just think that that's, you know, you're sort of like trying to stop the bleeding on somebody who's been shot 10 times and they're kind of already on their way out. Like you need to let that system in some semblance, like come down in order to fundamentally adjust it in order to fundamentally fix some of the problems that we have. Yeah. Just to kind of close out in one of the videos, I think it was your video about, it was a video where in Andrew Callahan made Dom Lemon look like a tool, which honestly isn't that hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> you said something to the effect of younger people don't consume their media from mainstream outlets. I'm paraphrasing you, sure. but I, I was curious what some of those independent outlets are, if you could just name some of them so our audience can check them out and maybe talk a little bit about how Gen Z gets their news, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of it is kind of like like deeply troubling, like with the amount of people who will be like, you know, oh, I just get my news from TikTok or whatever it may be. So right. there's, there's a lot of like, you know, I'm not trying to say like every Gen Z person is like super, uh, you know, sure, has, sure. has a lot of media literacy. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think that the best outlets that I've seen, at least on YouTube and stuff with podcasts and different shows that are out there. I mean, there's so many good left leaning political commentators, everybody from, you know, open socialists like, you know, Hassan Piker has been absolutely massively growing over on Twitch. You know, you got guys like Kyle Kalinske. He's sort of more of a social Democrat. He is able to explain things from his perspective really well on secular talk. You know, you also got people like, uh, you know, uh, the majority report with Sam Cedar. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really yep. good, you know, and there's also like essayist people or people who put together more polished content instead of like, uh, you know, daily news videos and stuff like that. Like second thought right. buddy of mine, he's, uh, he produces great content on his channel, sort of deep dives into topics, you know, breaking everything down. And, um, so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different great outlets out there, but I'd say, you know, you can tell that the energy has sort of shifted in younger people where this model within the corporate media is just not appealing. Like we do not want to sit in front of a you know TV and watch like some old farts break down how, you know, what, what the latest beef is within Congress or something like we want shorter, you know, more like entertainment sort of loosely based 
content where people are just sort of like able to sort of go all out and like give their genuine, honest, unfiltered takes where you're not just like sort of a, a boxed news anchor who's just reading off of a teleprompter or something. And, uh, right. you know, having deeper, longer form conversations into topics that get dramatically overlooked by the mainstream media as well. So I think there's a lot of things that are appealing to, to people who want to watch independent media. And I definitely think it's it's infinitely better, even with all of its problems, than pretty much all of the corporate outlets. So great. I have more questions, but <laughs> we're running long. So uh, <laughs> let's stop there. I mean, you can come back anytime. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're a great sport <laughs> and a great guest. You played our stupid games. <laughs> no, it was it was a lot of fun, guys. No, we appreciate having you. We'll be right back to close out the show. We're living through a time of extraordinary change. I'm Katie Porter. Change can be electrifying and exhilarating, but change can also be disruptive and disorienting, like the constant assault on our democracy and the dangerous imbalance in our economy. Too often, this disruption is coming from within. They used to call the United States Senate the world's greatest deliberative body. Yeah, well, if that were ever true to begin with, that has changed too. The threat from so-called leaders like Mitch McConnell has too often made the United States Senate the place where rights get revoked, special interests get rewarded, and our democracy gets rigged. As Californians, we've proven we won't just sit by and let these things happen. You always do your part, and I will continue to do mine. Especially in times like these, California needs a warrior in Washington. And that's exactly why I'm announcing my candidacy for the United States Senate in 2024. I don't do Congress the way others often do. I use whatever power I have to speak hard truths to the powers that be. To not just challenge the status quo, but call it out, name names, and demand justice. That goes for taking on Wall Street and the big banks, big oil, and big pharma. It's why I refuse to accept corporate PAC and lobbyist campaign money. I don't want it. And I'm leading the fight to ban congressional stock trading. I won't tolerate it because it's just wrong. To win these fights, it's time for new leadership in the U.S. Senate. If you agree, please go to katieporter.com and join my campaign for the U.S. Senate today. Thank you for caring about the California we can build together. So how do you think that went, Judson? He's gone. You, you can speak freely. <laughs> he's Gen Z. He's not going to have listened this far to the podcast. <laughs> That's true. I thought it went well. I, he's obviously you know smart guy. Super smart guy. Yeah. I think we agree on most topics that we talked about anyway. There's some th some disagreement there. I think our disagreement is on strategy and maybe priorities. Yeah. I think I mentioned that while we're talking to him like, a little bit about yeah, this. Yeah. We it's all want to get to the same place. We just talked about this offline, but like, were we able to, we, we would enact a socialist system tomorrow. If that were an option, it's simply not. The other thing we talked about offline is that he went to the same fucking high school as your wife. <laughs> it's true. The weird coincidence. Um, <laughs> That's insane. He's just very much younger than she is and than I am. Uh, not me. <laughs> he and I are about the same age. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Practically the same age. <laughs> Before the show, since he's, you know, a socialist and a singer songwriter that I really like, Billy Bragg, is also a socialist communist, really. And it's reflected in his music. And I was playing some of the music for him. He'd never heard of him, obviously. He was digging it. I, he said he was digging it. I don't know. <laughs> he's just respecting his elders, Tino. It's, you know, it's good manners. I'm <laughs> on the cusp of Gen Z and millennial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for listening to the show this week. 
week, the Facts and Friends podcast is written, directed, edited, and produced by the two of us with occasional but valuable contributions from a few very smart, very funny people. Please don't forget to help keep the show going by spreading the word about it to your friends and followers through social media and word of mouth. Also, do take a quick second to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those really do help. Lastly, before we get to this week's closed topic, we were talking about Good Politic Guy. Do check out his channel on YouTube. It's just Good Politic Guy, all one word. Like and subscribe. Smash that like button. You can also follow him on Twitter. He uh, is very active on Twitter, and that's just at Good Politic Guy. Thanks again, Mac. I know you're not here, but thanks again for coming on to the show. You're, you're a great guest. All right, let's get to our closed topic. Yes, please. I have some bad news. Okay, go ahead. The MAGA assholes are on to us. I find that highly unlikely, but go on. According to a writer from Breitbart, liberals are manipulating conservatives into not getting a COVID vaccine in a deliberate effort to murder them. This writer, John Nolte, no relation to Nick Nolte, but they're probably on the same pills. He, 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 he wrote this. Go ahead. Why don't you read this for us? Can I do it in a confused voice? <laughs> the, the organized left is deliberately putting unvaccinated Trump supporters in an impossible position where they can either not get a life-saving vaccine or can feel like cucks caving to the ugliest, smuggest bullies in the world. The left's morality is guided only by that which furthers their fascist agenda. And so using reverse psychology to trick Trump supporters <laughs> not to get a life-saving vaccine is, to them, a moral good. The more of us who die, the better. That Breitbart guy almost got us. If only it weren't for this nagging statistic. If we compare the information sources of those who said they'd definitely get vaccinated with the information sources of those who said they would definitely not get vaccinated, we see that the vaccine resistors were less likely to consume most news sources. Except for two, Fox News and social media. Fox News, she says. She did say Fox News. That's a video from Vox. I think then Nolte is saying that Fox News is run by Democrats secretly working reverse psychology to kill Republicans. The scary thing is there are conservatives that think that. <laughs> <laughs> Just following the logic there. I'm sorry, following the logic there. I had to air quotes that. Hey, let's listen to what they were consuming. If you don't take the shot that Joe Biden wants you to take, then Joe Biden is going to have to shut the country down again. The administration would like you to take this vaccine. Joe Biden told you last week, if you don't, you can't celebrate the 4th of July. No socially distanced barbecues for you, buddy. You're going to have to eat your hot dogs alone inside. What if you don't want to get vaccinated? Not everyone does. It's arriving in small bottles, but with a glitzy entrance. Have a vaccine and a smile. Just do it. How are the rest of us supposed to respond to a marketing campaign like this? Well, nervously, whatever you do, don't say this is social control, because if you do, the richest and most powerful people in the world will act in perfect coordination to shut you down immediately. It all seems a bit much. It feels false. How effective is this coronavirus vaccine? How necessary is it to take the vaccine? Don't dismiss those questions from anti-vaxxers. I'm actually beginning to have doubts. I've been telling my friends I'm going to get the vaccine. They, you know, Half of them agree and the other half think I'm absolutely nuts. And then there's this, something a guest said on Laura Ingram's show that was apparently so good she felt the need to tweet it out afterwards. Quote, you are becoming guinea pigs in a huge gene experiment conducted on humans. She put that out into the world. What about this vaccine? 
Why are Americans being discouraged from asking simple, straightforward questions about it? Questions like, how effective are these drugs? Are they safe? That sure did sound like the organized left to me, Judson. Those darn Democrats just tricking those Fox, those Fox News viewers into not getting the shot. Tucker Carlson is one of my favorite Democrats. Would you call Tuckums a Democrat or a leftist? <laughs> Definitely a Democrat, I think. Okay. We're, we're operating under uh, under Max's definitions. Like we're going to go with Democrat. Dude, we're operating outside of reality. Corporate right stooge. He's definitely a corporate yeah. stooge. But we have those on both sides. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about that. Recently, Democratic Kirsten Cinema uh, would be a corporate oh, stooge. She certainly is. Oh, I forgot to ask him about how she was the worst senator. Damn it. <laughs> we'll have to have him on again. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and all get depressed about the direction <laughs> our country is going. It strikes me as interesting how the party who has for years and years and years talked about personal responsibility somehow abdicates all agency for their voters when it comes to the vaccine. Like, they can't make an informed decision themselves. They must be being tricked by the left. That, that just strikes me as very I'm odd. with you. Okay. <laughs> That's our show for this week. Thank you again, Mac, for joining us. But a very special thanks to all of you, our listeners. We will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Christopher Nolan's Inception. Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I, if I saw that movie, it was a long time ago, Common probably when ground. I was like a kid. So, yeah, I don't really have a take on it. Oh, uh, man. There are no wrong answers except that. Uh, <laughs>